1 Corinthians chapter 9. And let us stand for the reading of God's Word. Paul says, Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. My defense to those who examine me is this. Do we not have a right to eat and drink? Do we not have a right to take along a believing wife, even as the rest of the apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or do only Barnabas and I not have the right to refrain from working? Who at any time serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat the fruit of it? Or who tends a flock and does not use the milk of the flock? I am not speaking these things according to human judgment, am I? Or does the law also say these things? For it is written in the law of Moses, You shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing. God is not concerned about oxen, is he? Or is he speaking altogether for our sake? Yes, for our sake it was written, because the plowman ought to plow in hope, and the thresher to thresh in hope of sharing the crops. If we sowed spiritual things in you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share the the right over you, do we not more? Nevertheless, we did not use this right, but we endure all things, so that we will cause no hindrance to the gospel of Christ." Do you not know that those who perform sacred services eat the food of the temple, and those who attend regularly to the altar have their share from the altar? So also the Lord directed those who proclaim the gospel to get their living from the gospel. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, We ask this morning that you would, that your word would go forth, that you would use me uh, to preach and teach, Lord, what you are saying here through the Apostle Paul, that we would see that even though it was written almost 2,000 years ago, it still has absolute relevance for us today because your word is living and active. Lord, I pray for all of us this morning that we would be changed by the hearing of your word. For some of us, we may need to be convicted this morning in the lives that we are living. For some of us, we may need to be encouraged this morning because of the trials of life. I pray, Lord, that through this message, through the worship, and through the fellowship of believers, and through the communion that we take this morning, that you would be glorified in all of it. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you've been following along with us in 1 Corinthians, 
Um, if, if you're new here or, or maybe it's been a while, you're visiting, uh, we have been going through the book of 1 Corinthians, and as Ralph said at the beginning, we don't shy away from any text. We go about it verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and we had just finished chapter 8. Last week, Pastor Keith preached on liberty in the Christian life, and, and we're still on this topic of liberty But we move into what I think is one of the toughest passages in all of Scripture. Not for you guys, but for me. Because I basically get to spend the next few minutes explaining to you why I deserve to be paid. (laughs) Now really, this passage is um, incomplete outside of the context of what is taking place and Paul addressing the Corinthian church. Uh, I would say even to kind of round out everything that I will talk about this morning, we, we kind of need verses 15 through 18, because 18 kind of concludes this, at least this idea of what Paul is saying here, but having all of that on one Sunday might be too much detail to go over. And, um, you know, based on this passage and what I had to talk about, I will say the temptation was to just spend the entire time talking to you about why uh, Paul can compare oxen to men um, and the way the... <laughs> so maybe, maybe for uh, those who like to join us for Sunday school, we'll talk about that in more detail there. Uh, but that was my temptation because it would certainly be easier to just go over that than everything along with it. But Paul does close out chapter 8 with this idea of liberty, but it is this liberty limited by love, right? It's this liberty that we have in Christ, but it is limited in the sense that Paul is concerned and wants his readers, us, right, to be concerned that we don't take our liberties and use them in such a way that it it um, offends other believers. And by offending other believers, what I mean is causing them to stumble, putting a stumbling block in front of them because of the way that we use our liberties. Or even using our liberties in such a way that someone who may not have the freedom in their conscience to be like, oh, I, I can't really do that. But because they see other Christians doing it, they're so emboldened that they go against their conscience, and for them it becomes sin. Because Paul does say uh, in Romans that anything that is not done in faith, for him it is sin. So if you're kind of just doing it because you want to explore your liberties in Christ, well, that's not the right motive. The motive has to be love. And really, it's this love of putting the needs of others above our own for the sake of the gospel. And that's what Paul is going to illustrate this morning for us. See, when he gets into verse 9, Paul is illustrating how he has done this and led this by example. So starting in, oh, we already have it up there. Awesome. Thank you. Starting in verses 1 through 6, Paul is going to speak about his rights as well, right? He starts with, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? See, Paul here is defending his freedom and his own apostolic authority. And we don't know totally why Paul right here is defending why he's an apostle to the Corinthian church. It could be that because he refused to exercise certain freedoms, because um, he didn't have a spouse or didn't take money from the church, 
or from Corinth that perhaps they doubted his apostleship, but nevertheless, Paul argues that he is free and he is an apostle. And his defense is that his labor for the gospel proves that he is afforded certain rights. Certain rights of provision and comfort that he has given up for the sake of the gospel. That he has given up for the sake of the Corinthian church. See, in verse 8, we remember the Corinthians were talking about how free they were. And, and Paul says, you're right, you are free. And then in, ver- in chapter 9, he says, and so am I. I am free as well. And I'm an apostle. Which means I've given myself over to the ministry of the gospel. And if we know Paul's life and journey in the book of Acts, we see that it is not an easy life that he lived. It's a life of a church planter and missionary. And you went through immense persecution. So Paul's saying, look, I'm free. I have the same freedoms that you do, if not more, since I'm an apostle. But he has given up certain freedoms for that very gospel. He says that he had the right to eat and to drink. And like it can seem from our last passage that maybe what he's saying is, don't I also have the right to eat these same meats as you do? And, and, but that's actually not the context. The focus here, based on the context that um, proceeds it, is that Paul is speaking specifically about the rights of provision. He says sim- something similar in 2 Thessalonians 3, 8, and 9. Paul says, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with labor and hardship we kept working night and day so that we would not be a burden to any of you, not because we do not have the right to this, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you so that you would follow our example. See, as he ministers to the people in Corinth, he has the right for them to provide his housing, his food, his drink, his provisions. Then he says, do I not have the right to take along a believing wife, even as the rest of the apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Cephas is Peter, by the way, and we know in the Gospels that Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law. Peter is definitely married. He's married. In case anybody thought otherwise about Peter. He's married, as were the other apostles, these leaders in the church. They had the right to take along with them their believing spouse, right? Their believing wife. And so Paul says, do I not also have the right to take along a a believing wife? But he has laid aside that right as well for the sake of the gospel. Paul is not obligated to remain single, He chooses this life to lift the burden off of churches for having to provide for him and his family. But if Paul was married, he and his wife would be missionaries and it would be the responsibility of these church plants to provide for their needs as they do with the other apostles. 
Then he says, or do only Barnabas and I not have the right, have a right to refrain from working? See, Paul's, Paul, does anyone know what Paul's uh, day job was? Right? He's a tent maker. But Paul had the right to refrain from physical labor. He didn't have to be a tent maker. He had the right not to be. His gospel work, as well as the ministry of Barnabas, should rightfully provide the monetary gain they needed to live. Those who have given themselves over to gospel work should be paid for their gospel work. And Paul is saying, that's my right, right? That's my freedom that I have given up. Instead, he and Barnabas forego that right and are bivocational. And they are able to do this because they don't have families. Think of the responsibility. Think of the responsibility that a man's first place of ministry is to his family. And so therefore, for a pastor, his first place of ministry is no different. His responsibility is to his family. In fact, it's so much so for his family that it's even a qualification to be a pastor. That if you are not providing for your family, or if you are not washing your wife in the word and raising your kids in the way they should go to, in the fear and admonition of the Lord, then you are not qualified to be a pastor. So if a pastor's time is torn between the ministry of the church and full-time work, in order to provide for his family's needs, what tends to suffer? The spiritual needs of the family. In fact, I would say that for many pastors, even if they are in full-time ministry, it still tends to be the place that suffers the most. He will not have the same kind of time or freedom of time to disciple them to be the committed husband or father because his time is so divided. The reality is God has always designed his ministers to have their needs paid for. This is not a New Testament reality and it's certainly not me making it up right now. That's why I said this passage was going to be so tough for me here. This goes all the way back to the Old Testament. The Levites... And the priesthood in the nation of Israel had a special work of guiding the nation of Israel spiritually. And so because of this focus and this mission, the nation therefore needed to provide for them and their families. See, the Levites, they, they, we'll talk about this in a little bit, but they didn't get land. They didn't get provisions from the land. And so therefore, their work being spiritual and dedicated to God meant that the nation that they spiritually shepherded and took care of needed to provide for them, right? What were they in charge of? They were in charge of the atoning sacrifices. They were in charge of uh, keeping watch over the Holy of Holies and the temple. And so because that's where their focus was, they needed provisions. In fact, this continues on in the New Testament when Jesus sent out his disciples He tells them to take no money, no food, no bag. Why? Because the worker for the kingdom 
of God should receive his provision from God's people. I'm just going to say next slide. Sorry, this is not working. Um, Oh, no, Luke chapter 10. Jesus said, carry no money bag, sorry, no money, belt, no bag, no shoes, and greet no one on the way. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. But if not, it will return to you. Stay in that house, eating and drinking what they give you, for the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not keep moving from house to house. So, I will say this, that churches that are able should be paying their pastors for the work that they do, and they should be paying them a living wage that can support their families. But I understand the hesitancy, because I know some of you right now have dealt with ministers in the past that are all about money that take advantage of people, that somehow make so much money they're living these lavish lifestyles even though people in their congregation are hungry. Some of you are probably wondering, what do I even pay this guy for? I only see him once or twice a week. Or do I pay him to just read books or study 19 hours a day? Paul then lays out in seven verses seven through fourteen six reasons for providing for those who labor for the gospel. Verse seven it says, Who at any time serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat the fruit of it? Who tends a flock and does not use the milk of the flock? See, Paul shows here in verse 7 that the laborer is worthy of his wages. Paul's illustration shows that men live by what? Their labor, their work. You cannot expect a soldier to find his own wages. In fact, historically, the idea, um, and Charles Hodge, he's a, uh, he's a theologian from a long time ago. He talked about that what, what tends to happen when soldiers are forced to find their own money, you know what they become? They become robbers. The same way, if a minister is required to support himself, the danger is that he will become a man of the world. Because he is divided, because he is torn, because he is so focused on monetary gain in one area of his life that he loses perspective in the area of ministry. That is one of the dangers. It doesn't happen to everyone, it's just one of the dangers. Instead, the minister's labor is the gospel and the in-depth study of the Word of God, that he may know it, that he may preach it and teach it, and with it, that he would be able to protect his flock. And so the minister should be paid for this labor, just as the missionary should be paid for his or her labor, just as the evangelist should be paid for theirs, in order to protect and care for the sheep. Verse 8 through 10 says, Am I not speaking these things according to human judgment? Am I? He says, I'm not. (laughs) 
Or does the law also say these things? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle the ox while it is threshing. God is not concerned about oxen, is he? Or is he speaking altogether for our sake? Yes, for our sake it was written, because the plowman ought to plow in hope, and the thresher to thresh in hope, sharing in the crops. The second reason, so the first reason is that the laborer is worthy of his wages. The second reason is because God's law says so. Paul is not appealing to human reason. Paul is appealing to the authority of God's law. And he's quoting Deuteronomy 25.4. Paul quotes the same passage in 1 Timothy 5.17 and 18. The elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing, and the laborer is worthy of of his wages. Deuteronomy 25 has nothing to do with animals. In fact, if you read that chapter, you will see that it's all about people and relationships. So the ox functions as a metaphor for man and likely particularly for priests that they earn a living for their labor So the law says you wouldn't muzzle an ox while he is laboring in the field. Neither should you to a man who works, even one who works in ministry. The third reason is commutative justice. Sorry, I feel like I'm the one now messing everything up here. This is verse 11, by the way. Commutative justice. It says, if we sowed spiritual things in you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? So what is this idea? This is the idea of free exchange for goods and services. This is Paul appealing back to the law again, as we will see in the next couple verses. But this is the idea of free exchange. And it makes sense material to material, right? If I provide a service like fixing your car or fixing your home, Right? or selling you something, then in return, what do you do? I, you, you provide me your services, whether it's money or food or like if there's trade or some sort of provision, right? Whatever is agreed upon. Similarly, Paul writes that if we impart to you spiritual things, the same law applies, that our services should be repaid with material things. So think of it this way, right? If a pastor imparts to you faith, hope, knowledge of the Word of God, spiritual insights and wisdom for your family, your marriages, your job, your day-to-day life, training you in the fruits of the Spirit, discipling you. These things are of eternal value and worth for you. Should it not be then that you repay the pastor with those things of temporary value? so that he is able to continue imparting these things of eternal value? The next reason is in verse 12, which is, it is done for others. He says, if others share the right over you, do we not more? Nevertheless, we did not use this right, but we endure all things so that we will cause no hindrance to the gospel of Christ. Paul says that the Corinthians already do this for other teachers. In this context, it's probably Apollos and Peter, based on 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 
So Paul's argument at that is you, if you provide for the other teachers in your life, would your apostle not deserve it even more? But even though Paul deserved it, he chose not to in order to cause no hindrance for the gospel. The reality is I get paid to work for the church, but Pastor Keith does not. He does not take a salary from the church. He does not take provision from the church. He is bivocational. And why? I mean, does he deserve to be paid for what he does? Yes. Like Paul with Corinth, Pastor Keith was here helping plant the Oasis Church. But in order to not be a stumbling block or a hindrance to the weak, his work, as well as Mary's work, his wife, for the Oasis is volunteer. So while it is right for the minister of God to be paid, there are certain circumstances where wisdom dictates that it is better for the pastor not to take a salary from his church for the sake of the gospel. Paul does not want to be a stumbling block. The next reason, the fifth reason, is that it was done in the Old Testament temple service. Paul says in verse 13, Do you not know that those who perform sacred services eat the food of the temple, and those who attend regularly to the altar have their share from the altar? So here again, Paul is applying the principle of an old covenant law to the new covenant church. The priests who did the temple service were supported by the people through tithe offerings. Uh, this is shown in Numbers 18, 8 through 24, but it is also in Deuteronomy 18, 1 and 2. And I have a slide for that as well. The Levitical priests the whole tribe of Levi shall have no portion or inheritance with Israel. They shall eat the Lord's offerings by fire and his portion. They shall have no inheritance among their countrymen. The Lord is their inheritance as he promised them. Their service to the Lord was their way of life and needed to be provided for. This is back in the Old Testament temple service. You know, after reading this and seeing how Israel provided for the priests in the Old Testament, I was encouraged thinking about the blessings that many of you have been to me and to my family. Um, for some of you, it's been through your tithing. For some of you, it's been through your service to the Oasis. But for some of you, you've been very generous to me even if you don't have much. And you serve the church in a number of ways, and you've served my family personally. I know that some of you have taken time to come over and help me with my vehicle, or help fix my HVAC when it failed and it was cold out. Giving me rides home if my wife needs to leave with the kids. As I was reading this, I felt very blessed by this church. 
the last principle in verse 14 is that it was ordained by the Lord. So also the Lord directed those who proclaim the gospel to get their living from the gospel. The Lord commands his people offer support to those who minister to them. And this summary from what Paul's saying is based on what Jesus had done sending out his disciples that we already read. And it almost seems like Paul ends here basically saying, so basically it's the right because God says it is. Because God says so. You know, as we think about this text, um, I thought about the fact that, you know, Paul gives up his right here to be uh, compensated by the Corinthian church. And it made me think of how Christ had given up his right for our sakes as well. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 11, It says, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in the absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So our Lord gave up his rights for our sake, but even he and his ministry on earth relied on the provisions of others for his ministry. He stayed in people's homes. He ate what others provided. There were followers and disciples who provided financially for him and for his disciples. So let me say, first off, I hope this is clear at this point, but I'm going to just make sure that I am not here for the money. I'm here because the Lord calls me here to preach and to teach the word of God to this church and to the lost of this city. But I am thankful that this church, in the place that it is right now, because of all of you who do give, is able to pay me. And because of that, my time is less divided than it would be if I had to work another job. It allows me to focus on preaching and teaching the word, It allows me to go to Planned Parenthood, to evangelize, to disciple, to focus on different ministries within the church. It also allows me to be able to pay for school so that I can be further equipped to pastor our church 
and to be a minister of the gospel and discerning the deep truths of the word of God. But let me also say that it's not just for me. See, it's easy to use myself as an example through this text, especially because it's, you know, at this point we know like I'm the one who's on staff, right? But really, it's your giving that goes to all the different ministries of this church. Things like Uganda, being able to provide affordable discipleship housing for your brothers and sisters in the church, opening a ministry right across the street for an ultrasound in order to help save babies and bring the gospel to their parents, being able to provide for other members in this church when they are facing a financial crisis. And let me add one more here. It's my desire for the future. The public education in this country is terrible. And it is godless. And it is the number one influence on the children of our community. But I know that some families feel they have no other choice. That this is the only option. And so my desire, this is my desire, that I pray would that be at some point, someday, that we would be able to provide a ministry for these families so that they have the financial freedom to remove their kids from the public schools and to provide for them Christian education. But these ministries only exist because of you guys in the church. And so let me ask, how are you giving to this church? Do you give abundantly so that this body can minister to you and to others in this city? Or do you hesitate to give because of how churches have abused hard-earned money in the past? And I get that. And it is unfortunate. It's unfortunate that it happened. It's unfortunate that it continues to happen. In fact, one of my earliest memories of church is my parents walking us out because of a continued press for finance, financial giving. It's one of the reasons that my Sicilian grandfather compares me in ministry to being in the mafia. It's also one of the reasons we don't pass the collection plate around, but we keep it in the back. One of the reasons is we don't want visitors feeling guilty and feeling obligated that they have to give. And we want the giving to be out of our love for the Lord and His church that has become our family, right? I would also ask as you examine this, is do you hesitate to give because Pastor Keith does well for himself? Why does he need more money from me? Do you believe that lie? You don't have to answer that. <laughs> but thank you. That's good, because it is. It's a lie, right? And I just said he volunteers. So. <laughs> but in the end, if you are part of this family and you don't give, you need to answer that question of why not. Is it because of a love of money? Let me ask, would you rather work six days blessed by God or seven days unblessed? 
Would you rather have 90% of your income blessed by God or 100% unblessed? You cannot outgive God, but a love of money will not be blessed. And fearing finances over obeying the Lord will end up hurting you the most. And so to end, I want to show that it is our Lord Jesus Christ who is the ultimate expression of giving. He gave up his rights and was ridiculed by his own people for you. He gave up his throne in heaven and became poor for you. He gave up his own life and was murdered for you. And he who knew no sin became sin for you, so that you might become the righteousness of God. As we examine our hearts, right, why we give, why we don't, if you're giving for the sake of me, then yeah, I would, don't give. But if you are giving because you love the Lord and you want to see Him work and the ministries grow in this church, then that's the heart that God wants from you. And like I said, I, I feel like this is a tough passage because there's really no way to spin it. But Paul is, like I said, we go verse by verse. When Paul's concerned about, about finances and, and churches and, and rights, then we've got we to gotta hit it. But if nothing else, just remember that example of what Christ has done for you and the things that he gave, denying himself, giving these things up for you. And with that in mind, Let us pray and enter into our time of taking communion together and celebrating exactly what he did do for us on the cross so that we would be free. Heavenly Father, I I do thank you for this morning and I do thank you for this passage. It's never easy talking about money. But Lord, I do thank you for this church, the people in this church, the family that you've given me here has blessed me and my family beyond, um, beyond words can express. And Lord, I pray that we would continue to give in ministry, not just money, but of time, of resources, that we would give of ourselves, Lord, the gifts that we have that you have given us for your glory and for the furthering of the gospel. We thank you, Lord Jesus. We thank you now as we enter into this time of taking communion that we could remember just how much of yourself that you gave up that we could be saved, that we would be 
brought into the family of God, restored in right relationship with you. I pray that we would celebrate that this morning together. And as we do, it would be a proclamation of the gospel. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.